0: Hi, I'm Naomi Simpson. I'm really pleased to be bringing you season two of Handpick, the podcast, where business owners ask me the questions. We've got a fabulous variety of great business owners with really tough questions that'll give you incredible insights. And remember, go back and check out season one if you missed any of those episodes. I'm really looking forward to speaking to our next guest, Simon, who I met a very long time ago, is one of the founders of VeggiePod. Now, for those of you who remember, it was season two, Shark Tank and I invested in VeggiePod and it is now in 19 countries. A wonderful Australian success story. But Simon, give us a little overview. Where are you up to?
1: Oh gosh, it's one of the key milestones. I think, yeah, as you said, we're in 19 countries, so footprint's going well, The business has grown. COVID obviously gave us a real spike. Um, You know, we've grown from just us three musketeers in the shed to I think we've got about 40 heads uh, internationally now. Um, In Australia alone, we're in 250 retail stores Uh, We have multi channel marketing, TV shopping, to ag shows, to direct online, to retail store networks, to loyalty redemption programs. So
0: uh, we are busier than a blue bummed fly at the moment, Naomi. (laughs) And that is a technical term, as true. So now, VeggiePod, for those who don't know, is a self contained, self watering vegetable patch really uh, where you can grow your own and not just veggies actually you can grow flowers or anything else really really lovely and it keeps those possums out and it keeps the bugs out Uh, and because it's white it also has this way of getting sunlight in there and um, and it really works for those who don't have a green thumb they get to grow things. So, you know, it is nearly five, maybe even six years since I first uh, met Matt on the show with his family. So what questions have you got for me in terms of your own growth story? Well, look,
1: this one's always been a little bit of a personal bugbear of mine, Naomi. And, and, and as Head of Sales and Marketing, um, I'm always coming up against it, uh, particularly with the young pups who, who think because they grew up with technology, um, know it really well as well. And I always fight them about that. And I say, well, it's, no, it's not necessarily true. So, But obviously, there's this whole arena um Of marketing these days, uh, which are different than when we first grew up with Facebook and and Google and and, uh, all the likes of these online platforms. And I like to think I'm not too dumb. Um, I like to think that I am, uh, by my very nature, uh, uh, curious about how things work, particularly with marketing. And I have given it good time and I have engaged the likes of professional consultants and staff within Google and Facebook themselves, mind you, Naomi, it frustrates you because you still cannot get a clear idea on exactly how these bloody algorithms that they talk about work. And these are people within the business, mind you. So I have this natural aversion in going... A bit like Warren Buffett always once famously said, if you don't understand something, don't invest in it, right? And I take that to my marketing investment as well. And I don't. And I've given it a good shot. I know it kind of works. Am I wasting my time going for this holy grail of really understanding about it? Should I just forget about it and just try to say, yep, okay, we know it works to a degree, just get into it? Or do I just keep trying to plug in and find out what's going on? Or am I wasting my time?
0: So that was a short, sharp question, Simon. But the question is, should I bother with these online platforms? Because I can't seem to work them out. One day I make five bucks, the next day I don't. So, and the algorithms. And look, the truth is it's only going to get harder because the way that the algorithms work is that it's dependent on people's data. Apple now has it that they are not delivering any data, and with so many people on Apple Apple products, then there is a whole missing people. So, what we call attribution, which is understanding where people come to our websites and how they come is going to become increasingly hard. It is a science. So what I say to you as a co-founder and the head of sales and marketing is what do you need to be the expert in? And what can I be the expert in? So Your product, once people see it, and while you're in so many retailers and so forth, when people see it, they get it. While you go to trade shows, while you're in schools, is once people see it, they get it, and they go, Oh, I could probably do that. So, seeing is believing with your product, and you know, the before and after photos, and the online, the um, television sales, and all of that sort of stuff. We know it works. So, one could say that online marketing, therefore, is your Achilles heel. So that's why marketplaces become important for all us, all smaller businesses, because you cannot. It's literally impossible. Like if you look at the teams that we have at Big Red Group, and we've got Red Balloon, and we've got um, Adrenaline, we've got all the others. These are absolute experts in understanding the shifting tide of online algorithms, markets, pricing, and so forth. And that is their 100% job. That's all they do if it was 100% your job you could become an expert in it but if there's someone else who can do it so that's why for smaller businesses finding a marketplace for your product let them do that for you and the reason why i say marketplaces rather than necessarily an agency is because they're only making money if you're making money they take a clip of the ticket and that means that if they don't if they're not successful They're not going to earn any money and they're not going to keep doing it. So for me, find a marketplace. This new one, uh, Click Central, that's out. I don't know if you're on them, which is perfect for small businesses in Australia. As far as I'm concerned, you don't have to be an expert in something. You're great at building relationships. You're great at opening those channels. Spend your time and energy. Just have enough information so that you know what's going on, but you don't have to be an expert.
1: Hypothetically, Naomi, hypothetically. One develops a
0: new product. Uh-huh.
1: There's, a, there's a little hint in there for all of you veggie pod lovers yeah. out there. Um, so it's not just an accessory to our current flagship products. It's a real new product and a real new extension. And we think this may well sell better in channels that we aren't in at the moment. Having said that, it probably will grab some traction in our current channels as well. But we've got a feeling it's going to go better in some other channels that are new to us. Now, based with that little situation, what would you recommend? Do we just go, based on our gap now, go hammer and tong and and go bust down these relationships and, and marketing towards these new channels, of which we potentially don't know too much about, but we think there's more opportunity? Or... Do I go the slow and steady route first and go, no, no, let's at least stick to those whom we do have a relationship, though, and i will give me a bit of a crack and at least test it there first.
0: So is this an entry-level product? As
1: in for a beginner user? Is that what you mean by entry-level?
0: Well, maybe in terms of price point. So um, if you look at a range of products, often you'll have a, an introductory product. It's a, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles, or it might be a smaller product, and it actually gets people into the category, and then you sell them up. So it depends what the product is, depending on what your distribution channel is going to be. So it might it might be based on a price point that there's particular channels that you always have to get it under the, let's say 99 bucks or something, because that's where they sell. And, and what you don't want is, of course, is to cannibalise your existing product. So you need to, and so it, without knowing what it is, I have to think very, very carefully about the Vegipod brand and what it stands for. Is this a lead-in product, or could it cannibalise? Now, there's another approach as well, which is called um, is having a brand spread. So, doesn't does it need to have the same name, or are you going to create? part of a category. So Big Red Group has a number of brands because they speak to different audiences. So Red Balloon is a gifting brand, has been, it's all about the experience voucher. Adrenaline is activity and go. Uh, Lime and Tonic is all about, you know, spa days and gourmet and luxe. So each of them has a different job to do. So because I don't know exactly what the product is, it may be that this could, in fact, you could then own the whole of the kind of category because you've got different products with different brands. So without knowing what the product is, uh, that's a few ideas. Is it something that I've seen in the past a long time ago?
1: No. Oh. It. <laughs> but I then I think what I need to do is to get you a prototype. Naomi to be a beta tester and whilst you're enjoying that beta testing you're also going to come back to me right with a few bits of those advice on what you were just talking about before
0: absolutely free marketing consulting I'm really good at it just send me a product and I'm yours um, no I'd love to you know I love my veggie so I'd love to and I can have a special I, like I don't even know what it is but of course you know I love that
1: right it's, it's coming on your doorstep pretty soon to what degree do you think, Naomi, does one's customer service affect and reflect the company as a whole? And does it indeed ultimately affect our sales to a major degree, let alone the company and the brand profile, i.e. should it be really something we, we really should worry about in these days?
0: So it de- it depends. Um, it's under- first of all understanding what the customer service issues are. Because there's gold in them, their hills, and because they listening to customers can help you evolve, particularly your systems and processes. And if you're not listening, um, you could have material costs that you don't even know about from inefficiencies. So being able to classify and get the analytics out of customer feedback is really, really important because that's often where innovation will come from mm-hmm. in a business. Yeah. But I also don't fear customer feedback and I always speak in singular customer feedback because, because they've taken the time to let you know, which means that they yeah. care enough. They either care for the money that they're missing out on, or but time is precious. And the fact that they told you, they at least deserve a response to say, thank you, didn't know that learned something, appreciate it. And then if you get back to somebody and say, because of you sending this to us, Five months ago, this is how we fixed our system. So we really appreciate it. And this is how we'd like to thank you. Yeah, I do remember back in the day, years and years ago, there was a company that used to send a bottle of uh, bubbles to everybody who complained. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, and then they finally realised that we they they were just teaching their customers to complain because <laughs> you got a free but some free bubbles. So. That's not what this is about. This is about acknowledging people's time, not necessarily rewarding them for that. I also don't fear that people are going to put bad things in the public domain. We're naive to think a business gets it right the whole time. And what people are looking for is an authentic conversation. If you've only perfect, perfect, perfect five-star rating, apart from my podcast reviews, of course. um, uh, But if you're only perfect, perfect, perfect the whole time, people just go, oh, that's not true. That can't be real. It must be fake. People want to know the authentic self, but it's how you respond to that in the public domain. Um, And often it will be customers who respond and go, "That wasn't my experience with VeggiePod. In fact, I found them really great." So, so also within customer, look at not just who's complaining, but who. Just never says anything, and then go and understand them. Uh, so I know that you've got very vocal customers who love and adore your product, and I was really glad to see Lane Beachley's got finally got one. Should have told her all those years ago.
1: You know, we're on productreviews.com.au, for example, four and a half out of five, mind you, not quite your five out of five like you, Naomi. But you know, but what I found was, you know, if you look at it from a cynical side, is that. Those who complain seem to have a higher propensity to take the time to go and and make a comment rather than those who may be happy but just silly but just sitting you know in the background. But then I did get a great comment once from a customer who when I responded to a complainant, and it was a ridiculous complaint by the way, but when I responded to them, the other customer said, "You know what, Simon? The reason I then went and bought you a product was the way in which you handled that complaint and responded to it. So, indeed, I think the touch is exactly what you said. It's, it's it's how you do deal with those people that, in effect, can can inflate or or, or help your company along. So, you know, I, I I'm a big believer in it. But I, I don't know what's your view like, because I, I again, it, it really." Frustrates me when some of these larger companies in Australia, it's like the Telstra's of the world and like some of our major banks of the world and um, and even major utility companies, and you get shifted off to a overseas customer service um and, and it's got nothing to do with, of course, race or, or with accent or anything. That's not it. It's about that little bit of understanding and the, and, the, and the lack of... It's those nuances, right, that you only get if you're within your own culture, for example, or within your own part. And I get frustrated by those companies that my customer service has been offshored. So Matt, Paul and I, we, we made it a, our little veggie edict. It was our decree, we shall never... Offshore our customer service even when we become successful. And we be here here, here here. We all agreed. And and yet that, if you like, it is does cost you more to do it in house. And we have our people here in house doing that. But I feel strongly about that. And do you think that's a real thing amongst all of or is that just a cranky old guy like me?
0: Oh, so you're just a cranky old oh, guy. God, so, No, no God. it's not it. Simon, so, so, mean, the thing is you're in 19 countries. You're going to be in 190 countries. You've got a fabulous, fabulous product. But the reason why people love your product is because you're real. And that is actually what larger businesses are trying to recreate is that essence. Yesterday, I got an email from somebody and, and it was a customer service issue and they, they had forgotten to fill in that insert the number here. Like it just came insert the number here. I was like, oh, what is this? They, you know, they completely messed up, but we just want to do business with real people. And that's what creates your brand essence, your brand authority is doing business with real people. When you shift it, when you think about the cost of marketing, which we spoke about at the beginning, well, then what's the value of customer advocacy? Because it's cheap in the scheme of things. So, you know, if you've just only got customers dropping out the bottom uh, and you're always topping up the top, you're never actually going to scale. So you know that in your heart, it's about your personalities and being real with your customers and that's what works for you. Yep.
1: Okay, that's good. Thank you.
0: Look, it has been wonderful to speak to you, Simon. And look, really great questions. Digital marketing is a challenge and how do you tackle that? And for many small businesses, it's not to try, it's to find marketplaces that where you can put your product so that you can focus on what you grade out. And, you know, having a new product come to market is really understanding where does that uh, fit and is it a new, do you want to own a category or is it an introduction product? And having a product strategy is going to be really important for you. And of course, customer, the cost of customer service and um, customer experience can be, seem excessive, but also it can give you great advocacy. So thank you so much for coming on the show. If you love Handpicked, please rate it, refer it, uh, review it. I'm still going for my five-star review, Simon. <laughs> so, But please share with other business owners. It's the only way they're going to find it. And there's great insights for everyone. So thanks for coming on the show, and it was so wonderful to see you again, Simon.
1: Thank you, Naomi. can I say we at Veggie Pod are eternally grateful for that moment with you in Shark Tank. We still count it as the number one milestone, the number one momentous occasion in our journey so far in, in terms of, of meaningful uh, milestone, and, and you're at the crux of that. And to have these ongoing uh, uh, interactions is also a great pleasure. So thank you as always.